And we're back. Chuck E. Cheese's. That's a very interesting place. You probably haven't been there in a very, very long time. That, was, that must have been the first time I've been there in yeah, in quite some time. I don't remember the last time. I, you know, the last time I can. I don't think I was. I think I was either late teens or very young adult. But uh, okay, um, just to like check it out for something i think okay uh it was more like uh oh i wonder i wonder what this is like now type situation <laughs> but yeah that was the first time i've been there that so i guess in at least like 15 years is my guess and um wow i i hated it <laughs> <laughs> don't candy coat it greg um because it, it, I mean, it, it, it gave me a headache. It, it was, it, it's this constant uh, music assault and um, kids running around, awful food. You can tell that the people there, and part of the reason I hate it is you could tell that, you know, the, the people there who are, who are the teens who are essentially doing the, doing all the work are, <laughs> they're miserable. Because how could you not be? And so it, it sort of looks like a misery factory. I doubt those kids are getting paid a lot for. I'm trying. I'm still trying to figure out the adults who were there. Yeah, like seriously, like playing games and earning tickets and. Well, I mean, I I played game. You know, I, I bought like five dollars worth of tokens and I play. I got some tickets. I just gave them right to Allison. Uh, I was just sort of interested in the in in, in what the games were. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I didn't have any <laughs> didn't have any interest in, in getting any of the stuff. I figured though, you know, you know how kids are when your brother or sister has a birthday, you need to get some attention to. Right. So I figured I'd win some tickets for Allison. Yeah, she was this afternoon when we got back, and he had all his toys. She was feeling a little uh, <laughs> all those tickets, and all she got was this cheap ass. Soccer, like oh, that, squishy that, soccer that her thing? She got the <laughs> switch. She got, mm. and she didn't even have, even have enough tickets to buy that. We had to put in an extra two dollars and fifty cents to. <laughs> I did to say, buy that. I did notice that that they. It's not like, um, David Buster or something. They let you supplement it because, of course, because yeah, you, you're never going to get enough tickets. They don't. Those things don't really give out a lot of tickets, uh-huh. and the kids are going to be in there and they're going to want something. And so you're going to feel like, all right, well, I'll give you the extra whatever three dollars, yeah, to buy the the cheap three or four dollar things that are behind the, the store that they're selling for twenty bucks, yeah, yep. including the singing Justin Bieber, singing Justin Bieber, yes, yep. So that's Chuck E. Cheese. That's Chuck E. Cheese. You missed Max in the uh, ticket tornado thing that they had. Yeah, well, I, I that it, was. <laughs> That was interesting. Thing was, like, he didn't like when it turned on. He like didn't know what to do. He's yeah. like, he's like a little bit paralyzed. The um, the lady put his like thousand ticket bonus ticket like under his foot, and she told I mean, she told him to grab it or something like that once it started. So first thing he did was pick the you know the big pick it up under from underneath his foot. But then he was trying to stuff it in his pocket for like half the time. And tickets are flying around. The one landed inside the safety goggles, which <laughs> good safety goggles when tickets are getting inside it. <laughs> but uh, he he started grabbing towards the end. He had a fun time, but it was you know it's one of those things that's for a five year old. It's hell of over yeah. really overwhelming. Yeah, it's a it's a big sensory overload. The whole 
thing. It, it's like, yeah, it's, it's a very, very miniaturized amusement park. So, yeah. With the, I was talking about particularly that ticket. Yeah. No, I'm saying thing, the Chuck E. Cheese but, itself. Yeah. Like, yeah. With, with the the really terrible animatronic mouse. <laughs> and... Didn't they, they used to have like a big jamboree of things, right? Now they just have one little... I think they used to have a band or... Yeah. Yeah, but no, just the mouse. Comes out a couple times an hour and sings yeah. a song. Does like eight, eight jerky little motions, doesn't do anything extraordinary because, of course... The mouth synchronization was pretty good. I was... That's, that technology's been around for a long, long time. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, yeah, but, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure the reason why is because lots of... If you had a lot of them, then there'd be a lot of maintenance. Mm-hmm. But the way it is... Uh, mouse repairman. Yeah. I, I did laugh, like, at the beginning when they started the, the parties. They were like, the world's biggest mouse well, what did they say but you know they meant like the most famous mouse mm-hmm. like Mickey Mouse is coming so <laughs> uh, unless they literally meant the world's biggest mouse maybe that's maybe that's Chuck E. Cheese's claim to fame it is the world's then it would be the world's technically the world's largest mouse I suppose perhaps the most massive mouse So uh, it was really funny to me because there, there was also a kid who was, I guess, dressed up as, and you could see how depressed he was walking. <laughs> like he was holding his head down, even though the, you know, the, uh, the mouth is a big, like, grand, but it's like facing down. Just, uh, I hate this. I hate this. <laughs> I didn't notice that Chucky was depressed, but. <laughs> that would make for like a good like short cartoon or something or a short short film about a depressed mascot. <laughs> All right. Anything else to talk about? <laughs> uh, we've drained the pond. We've seen each other too much. Yeah. <laughs> um, we talked for three hours beyond the show yesterday, so... Yeah, I mean, so got home today, and I, uh, I don't know. I'm just talking because maybe we'll think of something in the interim. Sure. But uh, started scraping paint. I'm going to start painting the house outside of the house tomorrow. So okay, what is that? In- so we have wood on the corners, like between right. the siding and up on the roof and the whole porch and everything. So that's the kind of stuff I'm going to be painting. Uh, we got a quote. It was going to be like twenty three hundred dollars. That sounds about right, right? Because I mean, it, it takes several days to paint a house. You got to put a one coat on it and another coat on it, right? I mean, there's. Still... Oh yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to <clears throat> cut into some of that uh, expense by doing <coughs> doing the low easy stuff, and maybe just hire someone to do the ladder scaffold work. Mm. That makes sense. I mean, the porch is with all those railings and pickets and everything. Um probably a big part of the expense so I'm going to use my paint sprayer that I got a couple weeks ago and uh, that should make the porch much less tedious to paint and hopefully cut a big chunk off the uh, overall bill so 
Not exciting, but like I said, I'm just trying to prime the pump here. <laughs> Sorry, uh, my uh, mother just sent me a picture of, of my niece and nephew, so I'm sending a picture of me and the superhero. Uh, <laughs> the superhero cutout that uh, he sent. So, anyway. Yeah, I... <laughs> Painting is one of those things that, uh, well, it's, it's boring. I mean, there's a reason why they call it watching paint dry. Yeah. Oh, exciting radio. Okay, so let's see. Um, <laughs> uh, I'd finished White Hot American Summer. Um, it's great. I mean, it was so it was so much fun to watch. Um, it, I think they did some really cool things with, with the premise. <coughs> Okay, I think that it, here's here's the way I look at it. So it's four hours, right? They had I think two and a half hours of just fantastic material, and then the rest of it was like half of it was pretty good stuff, and then half it's kind of like filler. So okay, you spread that over four hours, and I think you you, you get a pretty decent ratio. But I mean, obviously, I think you know two and a half hours is a little, is too long for a movie, and too short. <sighs> You wanted to give you know give these stories room to breathe these quote unquote stories, mm-hmm. but you see, I mean, I, I showed Jeff a scene from one, that even out of context, it's, you can see how ridiculous it is, just like the movie. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it was good. John Hamm is a funny guy. <laughs> well, now I'm under pressure. I'm coming up with even less to talk about. All uh, right, let's see. Do-do-do-do-do. No, no, no. I don't want to talk about this stuff. <clears throat> because all, all the stuff I have is like science stuff, and we talked, we, we, you kind of uh, poo pooed that yesterday, and I understand. Really deep stuff. It's. I uh, mean, okay. It, you know, it, it just turns into you talking at me about science, and. Yeah. And I can't participate so well because it's really advanced stuff, so. Um, maybe I can try to. Uh, reinforce something that you got you were confused by before okay. uh, but it's uh, i mean the it, it's just the concept of symmetries and broken symmetries and i think you were a little confused by that before maybe um so what i was trying to get at was when we're looking at the world um what we try to understand is not not the world as we are interacting with it, but what the broader implications of what we're seeing are uh, because we are under, um, you know, we, we are under the effects of other things around us. So we're trying to understand, uh, is is there sort of a, a unification of this uh, of this thing and that thing that explains a more broader scope of what we understand? Like when they unified electricity and magnetism, when they found out that, oh, these things are related. So there was a unification that mm-hmm. could take place. So they found out that th- this thing and this thing, there's these relations between them and all. And then it took a while, but it all snapped into place. All right. The idea behind symmetries is, is, is essentially the same thing where. Okay, so if I have a paperclip that is standing on this table, uh, it is. Um, from the perspective of the paperclip, it has one force. Well, it has two forces acting on it. It has a force of gravity pulling it down, and it has the force of what it's sitting on pushing up on it. Mm-hmm. And, and that that force is pushing up on it. It gives it what we call weight. 
Now, if I then drag a magnet on top of it, suddenly the perspective from the perspective of the magnet, uh, the situation has changed. The universe has changed dramatically. All of a sudden, uh, it is wildly attracted to this magnet. And the reason why is because it was down here on the table. It was in this... It was energetically favorable for it to be sitting there. That was the path of least energy. When the magnet came, all of a sudden the path of least energy was to get to the magnet. And the reason is because you broke a symmetry by moving the magnet over. Okay. So that is an example of breaking a symmetry by bringing in this extra field. This this new charge field breaks okay. the, the, the symmetry that 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 the, that the paperclip was under. Okay. So that's what breaking symmetry means. Okay. Got it. Cool. Good. I'm glad I could explain that. <laughs> Great. I'm glad <laughs> that led to more tough too. <laughs> um, I had something I wanted to mention. What was it? <laughs> What is that that you're holding? This? Yes. Spudger. Okay, what is a spudger? First describe it and then tell me what it is. It's uh, made of nylon. It's black. It, has it a, looks kind of like a pencil. It's very right. pointy on one end. It has kind of a flat edge on the other end. And there's a notch in it. It's a, it's a tool for working on electronics and stuff like that. To for, like, move Maneuvering things, things okay. prying things. Is it magnetic or is it not? No, it's just nylon. Oh, it's nylon. Oh, okay, I see. Okay, so this end has the little, like, notch, which... What would you use that for? Just... You could use it to hook something. I mean, I've never used it. I pretty much use the, the pointy end to get into when you're trying to open an iPhone or something like that, or using it to press down a, a ribbon cable into a connector. So the idea is essentially a, a, a point that won't break easily and is non-conductive. Yeah. I imagine that's the yeah. idea. Yeah. So use it for iPhones. And yeah, I can see how this is a flattened end. You could use it to, to lever as a lever, yep. right? Yep. And this is a point to just sort of... Whatever you need something pointy for. <laughs> like a pencil without having a lead. Yeah, it's better than using a screwdriver. Yeah, inside of... that's true. Or an awl or something, right? I mean... Right. So that's what it's for. It's a handy okay. tool. Let's talk about your, uh, your new... You know, okay... We did talk about this. Your, we didn't talk about it on the air. Your new waterproof case for your iPhone. Okay. Because uh, you mentioned when you were talking about it that you saw some that were like what seven dollars, mm-hmm. and you saw some that were like eighty dollars, and you said you wanted something in between. Right. And the question <laughs> is: Is that does it? Makes sense to judge those things solely on price. Okay, we talked about this outside. Yeah, so and I wanted to get a waterproof case for my new phone, so I didn't have the same kind of mm-hmm. issue again. I felt a fair price to pay for a decent waterproof case would have been twenty-five or thirty dollars, somewhere in there. So I started looking for waterproof cases. I'm just going to pull it up here. Waterproof iPhone six case. All right, so like some of the top ones that come up are actually I'm getting ones that are like twenty dollars. I didn't get those just the other day. 
<laughs> oh, that's funny. A lot of a lot of the cases were. See, I'm getting one. A lot of ones are like sixteen. The price went up on some of these. I think they were cheaper the other day because I remember this guy with the kickstand. Anyway, um, you know, I was looking at it. I was mentioning that like they were either like so cheap, like eight nine dollars, mm-hmm. that it really didn't instill much confidence that they were good at being waterproof, or they were like eighty bucks, like a lifeproof case or an otter box or something mm-hmm. like that. And there didn't seem to be anything in the happy middle where, like I said, for me, 25, 30 bucks felt like something where some company had an engineer actually design a waterproof case, you know, and you, your comments were, well, so I commented, first of all, that judging something by its, uh, solely by its price is, uh, we know that that's a bias that we have towards things, but we also see that it's. Uh, it doesn't evidently show up in, in in products. Thing I was thinking of, for example, is wine. You know, they can they test people with wine, and and they tell somebody it's twice as expensive, and they're more likely to like the one that's twice as expensive versus the one that isn't. You know, I mean, so for wine or beer, it's it. I think it's different than a waterproof case. A couple things, you know, the the taste and flavor is very subjective. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you can't. Um, objectively measure quality where with a waterproof case you can objectively measure quality you can objectively measure certain things but there was also the principle that the high price case like you said were like was like 80 bucks the low price case were in the eight dollar to sixteen dollar range and you said you wanted a middle run but what is the business case for putting something in the middle Right. If you're selling a, if you're selling cases, then you either want the market that is you know that is looking for cheap cases, or you want to go for the expensive luxury market. If you put yourself in the middle, you're sort of pricing yourself out of both of those. The people who are going to go want, a, want the luxury one, who are going to spend an extra twenty bucks or thirty bucks, probably won't be too um, too afraid to go another twenty bucks and get the the big name. Mm-hmm. And uh, the people who want the cheap one aren't going to go for the thirty dollar or forty dollar one. So you're essentially, you're going for the people who are approaching prices, uh, who think they're approaching prices reasonably, and people don't approach prices reasonably. So the one I ended up getting was one of the $8 ones. That was an $8 case. It wasn't so much uh, a case, you know, one, because the other requirement that I had was... I didn't want something that I'd install on it and have to keep it on all the time. Mm-hmm. And some of those cases, I think like the life, don't quote me on the life proof, but some of those cases, you know, you put down this plastic waterproof sheeting on it, which covers up the button and everything. And then you put the case on it and it didn't seem like something that would be something you'd want to install and remove regularly. Yeah. And I didn't want a big fat case on my phone all the time. So I went with one of these bags. This is the Tethys waterproof case for Apple iPhone five, six, five S five C five, Samsung Galaxy, all this stuff. It um, it's, a, it's a bag. It has a little uh, inflated air cushion around the outside. So the idea is to make it buoyant so it'll float. Um, and then it has uh, an earphone inside the outside earphone jack adapter. So you could plug in your headphones to it. Came with a, an armband strap so you can you know mount your arm or a neck tether and. So what what is the waterproofing? Like it, it's not. I mean, obviously you're not supposed to dunk it into the water and leave it there, right? It's it's more. Uh, uh, no, this one protection up to four meters deep. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, you, it's not, I'm not getting it to, to go scuba yeah. diving with or snorkeling, yeah. you know, it's more so. Accidental splash. If, if, yeah. Well, even if it gets submerged, but I'm not going to keep it submerged for mm-hmm. minutes. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an insurance against accidental submersion. Accidental submersion. Yeah. I mean, and I think that that's, that's a fair price to pay for that. Right, it's basically a, a a a slightly more advanced version of putting it in a couple of plastic bags, right? Which didn't work for me, right? However, like you said, a couple of plastic bags. I was thinking about this afterwards, and if I would have put it in two Ziploc bags, I'm sure that would have been good enough mm-hmm. to to keep it because uh, I would have put it inside the first one, kind of folded it over, put it inside the second one, and then that's the one I would have tied off to the yeah. kayak. And that probably would have been enough to keep me in good shape, but I didn't consider that till after it was too late. Yeah, one one ziplock is not uh, necessarily waterproof. No, no. How's that? That's weird. It's always weird when I see people playing with their contacts. Got something under my contact. I had to move it around and get the thing to fall out. So, yeah. So yeah, I got a waterproof case. The so next time I take my uh, phone out on the water, which is soon, right? You're going to Kelly Island. Going to Kelly's Island, yeah, and. Uh, I'm trying to think. Last year, I did take the phone out on the kayak because we found some a couple of geocaches across the bay when we ran into a kayak up there. I'm trying to recall how I waterproofed it last time. I probably used a Ziploc or something, but I don't recall. I know the life vest I had had a pocket on it. I had it in the pocket, where this time I kind of had it in the, sitting in the canoe because I was using it kind of like as a heads-up terminal mm-hmm. to figure out which way to paddle this time. Um uh, I don't think the Apple Watch is waterproof, is it? No, it's very waterproof. Really? Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. So you had mentioned when they first announced it, you expected it, or the industry expected it to be waterproof to about three drops. Yeah. And when it got launched, I saw some of these torture test videos, and people were dropping it in boiling water, and it was surviving like fine, like a minute in boiling water. Other than the overheat protection shutting it down. Mm-hmm. It came back and was fine. Um, I then I was talking to someone just yesterday, a coworker. We were talking about the same thing, and I'm and I I was under the impression that Apple still hasn't published good specifications on its waterproofness. But a guy I was talking to said he heard it was eighty meters. Eighty meters. Yeah. And I know that there's like swim apps for it, like training apps. Wow. So like you're like a. A good swimmer, like you know, like lap type swimmer. You know, there's there's lap timer apps for your phone and stuff like that. Get the sport version then, because you know, only get those nice uh, bands, <clears throat> right? Um, oh wow, so okay, so could you then use that as a sort of second screen? That sort of... actually, yeah, yes, I'm pretty sure. I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure the geocaching app has support for the iWatch. And that would be awesome because when you're coming up on a geocache, they show you what is basically, um, it's a compass face, but instead of the needle pointing north, the needle points to where you want to go to, Mm -hmm. you know, so you just keep the red needle in front of you and you're getting closer to the geocache. And it can use the haptic feedback to to buzz, buzz, buzz when you get closer and closer. Oh yeah, yeah, it could do things like that. But I mean, that would be really cool to have that second string, keep the phone locked away in your pocket, you know, in a a nice waterproof container. And while you're paddling, just glance at your watch and figure out 
which way to go to these. I think these we found wa- a use case. These water geocaches. Yeah, I mean, that's really the only application I really <laughs> want an Apple Watch for. But that I'm not going to pay $400 for yeah, that application. Yeah. But it's an application I would really like to have a solution for. I like that idea. <clears throat> you could, in theory, get a, a relatively cheap GPS you know, thing that just says GPS, right? So... Yeah, yeah. You. The thing with doing geocaches is, like, with my old GPS, my old Magellan, you know, like actually getting the cache locations loaded into it. If you did it by hand, it's so tedious that you'd never do it. And what I used to have to do was download one format of a file from the geocaching website, load it into a third-party program that I had paid for which could then load it onto mm. the Magellan, but you'd have to hook up the Magellan to your computer, you know, and, you know, it, having your GPS device be your wireless communication device and have it get the data right from geocaching's website and like be able to get like all the, like you can look up the description, the hint, the recent logs. So you can see if like people like the last couple of months of have problems finding mm. the cache, you'll know that instead of kind of being like, I looked and I can't find it, but I don't know. Maybe it's still here. Maybe it's not where, so it's super nice. There definitely could be a market for a geocaching GPS where it actually tethers with the phone or has its own 4g network. That seems all we, little... need, all we need is Bluetooth, not 4g, right? You could, yeah, I guess you could do Bluetooth. But I'm saying if you want something to to be able to talk to the geocaching data like and be its own thing. Oh, not... uh, yeah. I, no, I would say it's fine being a slave to your phone for, for yeah. the connection, mm-hmm. but uh, but you do want to have it. So, Or, you know, another and maybe another application would be to actually... The phones are so good. Like, my phone's more accurate than my Magellan for finding these things. But it's an old Magellan you have. Yeah, it's an old Magellan. But with I think... I mean, with all the assistive, you know, the tower assist and all that stuff, you know, it's really mm, accurate. That's true. Um, I don't know. I, there, I was thinking maybe there could be a market for a GPS that has Wi-Fi. So when you're at home, it has network connectivity. And when you're out, you know, that would make things a lot more convenient. But I don't know if there's really a market because, like I said, the phones are so good. The The only time the phones aren't good is when you need to change the batteries in an iPhone or when you... Um, you know, or doing wet things with it. Magellan now has handheld waterproof ones, especially designed for geocaching. I'd have to look to see what the, um, how to, how to load the stuff would be, but 122 is not too bad. I think it's three out of five stars. Oh. Uh, but the Garmin is cheaper and it gets four out of five stars. Geomate Junior Geocaching GPS unit gets two out of five stars. Um, yeah, so okay, let's, let's take a look at this. There's this Magellan Explorers GC waterproofing geocaching GPS. Has a small display, mm-hmm. 2.2 inch, easily connects to geocaching.com user community, and performs send to GPS, create and sync pocket queries, and upload field notes. Okay, I mean, that's pretty the most popular geocaches in the world. Find more than any others. Blah blah blah. Uh, high sensitivity SRIF Star Three GPS with three meter accuracy. That's pretty good. I don't know why the ratings are moderately low, but uh, 
yeah, the send a GPS thing that 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 could work. Um, I'm to remember how that works. Yeah, look, I'm looking up right now. Cons: small text, transflect, trans, transflective screen, hard to see even in bright sunlight. I need to use the backlight most of the time. Okay, so it's okay. Uh, battery life about ten hours for rechargeables. Position update most of the time pretty good, occasionally very slow, up to two minutes. The map screen and dashboard screen are used successfully for geocaching. It is not possible to rapidly switch between these two screens. Uh, that's one thing about these handheld GPS units is that they don't come with detailed maps on them. They just come with like highway maps. Yeah. And then if you want to buy the topo maps, they're pretty expensive. Hmm. Uh, so with the geocaching app on your phone... You know, oftentimes you'll have cell signal and you have your, you can use your data plan. But if you're out in the boonies where there's no data plan, you can save all the map data and the geocache data offline. Mm-hmm. So like when we, before we went kayaking the night before, I zoomed, I centered the map on where we were going to be. And I clicked refresh so that shows me the 20 closest geocaches. And then you can say, show me 20 more. So now I had the 40 closest. And then I said, save that to an offline list. So it saved those geocaches, their descriptions, their recent logs and things like that. But then it also saved the maps around each one of those. So I had offline ah. map data. I had... Satellite data too, so you could... Yeah. Yeah. Well, you could pick what you wanted, whether you wanted satellite or... Um, Apple Maps or like OpenStreetMap, you can pick a couple mm-hmm. different things to cache down. I usually save the OpenStreetMap one because it shows like hiking trails and things more oh. better than um, than the Apple Map. But you know, so when you're, if you're worried that you're not going to have great reception, you do the save offline, and uh, it works really good. I mean, the the iPhone app is quite the app. So I mean the only the only nice thing about this is I guess like you said it's it's slightly separate from your phone and it's waterproof so you mm-hmm. don't have to um you know to worry so much about it but it does yeah it does look like it's not um it's not an amazing yeah. piece of technology yeah not like a waterproof bag you know and I got three sets of of you know USB charger you know battery things that you know I could I have no complaints now. Mm-hmm. Let's see the. This one is now discontinued by the manufacturer. The that's a older one. Which, what's the number on that one? I've seen that one before. The E Trex Ten GCB handheld GPS geocaching bundle discontinued by manufacturer. I got to think that there's somebody must have made one that's good. Yeah, I mean, there's there's good GPSRs. It just depends on how much work it takes to get it, right. the data onto it and keep it up to date. Um, I'd, I'd like to see like 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 out in the like talk to G, like pull geocachers mm-hmm. and see how many people use their phone exclusively yeah. now, how many people use their phone primarily, or still use an old GPSR GPS receiver as yeah. their primary um, device for hunting. It, it it just seems odd that your your best device, that your phone still remains the best device. I, mean, I guess it's not odd necessarily because these are really. I think the reason it, I, the reason I consider it the best is because it's the connected device. Yeah. Right. So if you want to look at the map or get a good over, like they turn it to satellite view to see, mm-hmm. like, oh, it looks like it's near that tree. Let's go yeah. look at that tree. 
you know, there's times where that's very helpful. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Satellite view is, is good for for landmarks for picking yeah. out those. I don't know. Uh, it would be cool to have uh, if if you could have um, uh, another iPod that would just sort of shadow your your iPhone screen and connectivity, so so you could keep your iPhone oh, right. uh, well well protected while you have just a, a screen that you can pass around and communicate with your iPhone. Yeah, but that's just adding. But, but think about it. all these solutions cost more than a yeah. than a good case. So yeah, true. True, they do. It, it's just the the only issue though is that with your phone, I mean, your phone is your connected device, and if that breaks or has a problem, then you're kind of fucked in today's world. If you're lost without it, your phone, well, you have some experience and training and how to right. handle yourself, but most people, yeah, you're right. <laughs> a lot of geocaches. I mean, the people that the people you're worried about, they're not doing. 10 mile hikes Probably in the back not. country to find these Probably geocaches. Not. They're finding the ones that are under the park benches. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah, I guess that's I guess that's true. I need to consider that as well. I mean, geocaching isn't just in the woods. There's yeah, it's, it's, tons like, of urban geocaches. You know, I I'm curious about it, but it's not it's not something that I'm actually interested in doing, but I'm I'm curious about the We should uh let's see what you, let's see what geocaches are like on your street. All right, yeah. So here, let's find. Like, I mean, here's a map around here. Okay. Oh, so, wow, that's a lot. So I live right here by this smiley face. This is down by the soccer field. And uh, so the smiley faces are ones I've found. The stars are ones I own. And then the green or yellow ones are just ones I haven't found yet. And where's the zoom out? There it is. <laughs> Great radio again. Yep. Well, I'll talk through it. So I'm scrolling down to where Greg lives. Stormont, Pioneer. You live off Pioneer, right? Yes. So, like, Wedgemere should be one of those, maybe? No, it's too close. And then, yeah, you're about right. So, yeah, Brookline and, and Pioneer and Wedgemere will be rough off there, so... Up, okay. up, 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 there. There you go. That's it. Oh, this one right here doesn't have mm-hmm. a label on it yet. So there's actually not too many right near your house. I figured there'd be some closer. There's one over at um, Woodbourne and Pioneer. Near the CVS. Actually near the school. Got a couple up here in West Liberty. And near where I work, look, um, look over towards um, Mount Lebanon Boulevard. So a little bit go down, uh, yeah, that way, and yeah, not a lot. A whole string along. Um, what road is that? That's nineteen. Yeah, nineteen. Where's Mount Lebanon Boulevard? Here's Castle Shannon yeah, Boulevard. Yeah, so Castle Shannon hits Mount Lebanon Boulevard. So, um, right over. So Castle Shannon is there, and Mount Lebanon Boulevard is, I think. This Scott Road, or oh, here, uh, yeah. here's Castle Shannon there still. It is. Yes, it's okay. So there's one at the uh, bus park at the park and ride at the T station. Okay. Um, it really isn't as dense down here as I thought. 
that they'd be like oh, on every street corner, like uh, stuck under a telephone pole or something. Well, you are. I mean, you're in the yeah. suburbs, and yeah. and I mean, you're in the deeper suburbs, or the further away suburbs, less mm-hmm. congested suburbs, and these are the more congested right. uh, suburbs directly outside the city. So it's not. Yeah, there's there's nothing by work. Um, interesting. Take your geocaching sometime. See, maybe you catch the bug. <laughs> well, the thing is, I don't like finding urban ones. I don't like 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 looking like under park benches when people are like there watching you. You know, that's that whole Muggle thing that you had so much fun with, right? <laughs> um, don't let the Muggles see you. Uh, I I don't know. I just don't like doing that kind of. Uh... Why not? It's it's too. It's just too hard. It's because you either go a couple of different routes. You either try not to try to not to be noticed mm-hmm. and do it like su- subtly, or you know you tell the people what you're doing so they don't think you're crazy. Because like sometimes you're like looking like you're laying on the ground and looking up underneath a park bench or something like that, you know, and um, or you wait for them to move on, you know, or you know like one one technique that people use is they'll get a yellow like construction worker vest and a hard hat and a clipboard and you know they'll figure there for some official reason (laughs) see i i sort of think that any i keep thinking back to i forget where it was but i I was talking to somebody because they were they were at some party or something and there was this they were wearing something ridiculous it was ridiculous hat or ridiculous outfit or something and i said uh well you probably just jokingly, you, you don't want to wear that in public. Everyone's going to stare at you. And then he said, uh, I think it was a really good point. He said, no, the opposite's true. If you wear something super distracting, no one looks at you. Because <laughs> everyone just, you know, people just don't want to be involved. Right. And so in, in some sense, if you, like, if you make an effort to peacock right to point out your to point mm-hmm. to yourself then people are going to their their attention is going to not <laughs> bother with you right why would they care yeah so I, it, it's not that i don't won't do this i just i don't prefer it i prefer finding them out in the woods where you don't have to hide your intentions or you know blend in or that kind of thing you just do it i would say just i mean there's nothing wrong with with looking at looking for something you know yeah, I mean, I don't bother with what people are doing. On the- <laughs> like the ones I really hate, like a common place people hide geocaches is in, like in a parking lot under that skirt at the bottom of a lamppost. Like those mm-hmm. metal things will slide up. So like you'll be looking for a geocache. And to me, that's too close to trespassing, you know, like lifting up the, the metal skirt on a lamppost. You're not supposed to be in there. Mm-hmm. You know, so I really hate those ones. Is it trespassing if it's... It, it feels like trespassing okay. is what I'm saying. If, you, you know, you're you're in this... You're on private property, like in a parking... Like a shopping center parking lot, you know? And someone hit a geocache, and you have to lift up the lampposts. But those lampposts, are they... Okay, so that, that's a trick. So, are, are the lampposts private property, or are they public property? 
That's all private property, right? You go well. The, the, the parking lot. The parking out. lot is, but the lampposts themselves are they? They're paid for by. They're not paid for by the state, okay. or the community. No, but you know, it's not like you're just like sometimes you know they'll be hanging in a tree there. That's I'm fine with that. Or actually, I have one. It's called not another lamppost skirt. And I took a rock and I hollowed out a hole underneath it and stuck a little bottle cap size cache in there. So it's laying right next to a lamppost, mm. you know, and it's in like, it's the, instead of being mulch, it's all riverstone, like big, big rocks. So like I had this in the back of the car. I'm like, this is perfect. So I laid it down right there. And it's, it's one I more fun. Like I'm, I don't know if proud is the right word, but you know, it's. Has it been visited? Oh yeah. Someone found it just the other, I mean, yeah, it's found a couple times a week, I'd say. Cool. Um, but yeah, like the last guy I left the log is like, I looked for this thing forever. Cause I mean, it's, it's sandstone and not river rock. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for a difference and you know, like you'll see that the rock doesn't quite fit, but if you're not uh, examining the rocks, you, it's just going to blend in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's not much, it's in the middle of a parking lot and all there is, is a tree, some rocks and a lamppost. And the title is not another lamppost skirt. And the scripture says, this is not under the lamppost skirt. <laughs> So what's the first thing you check? <laughs> well, <laughs> probably lifting up the lamppost skirt. Uh, well, it's interesting, I guess. Um, and I know it's probably not. Like I said, I don't. I can't imagine you'll catch the bug, but I should take you some time finding. Yeah, no, one. but I mean, it's like you know, I talk to you about physics stuff all the time, yeah. and you're not that interested, but you're sort of you're mildly interested. Yeah, I mean, if you find the right thing, you know, when you're way off in theoretical land and it's something that's completely unintuitive, yeah. it's really and hard I, to... I don't mean to like do that to like to like lord over you, but it's more I'm trying to figure it out too, sure. and so I'm sort of I, talking I know I hear you. you. I'm thinking of back in the days where we were pretty equal. Yeah, <laughs> you know, when we like were describing this stuff back and forth, but uh, those days are long gone. Greg has continued his education. <laughs> it does. It just gets more. <laughs> you start to realize how much more there is to it than, than you ever thought there was. And it's a fascinating, fascinating stuff. And like I said, you do kind of, at some point you, you start to feel like a wizard, right? You start to, I understand what these little arcane symbols mean. <laughs> and people look at these names and they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, that, that's uh, that stands for, for this or that stands for that. And, um, and it's, but yeah, you have to have sort of a the mentality that you, that you really want to understand this in order to go further in it. Mm-hmm. You have to really, you have to really have a desire to understand these things. Otherwise, yeah, the, it, it, why would it hold interest for? Oh, you? I forgot to tell you. Uh, was it last week? Max is like, is Greg come up? And can Greg bring some science? <laughs> So Max wanted you to bring science up. I don't know. I did. I don't. I brought a. You did. did. I don't know if he meant dry ice specifically, but I mean that's what he's remembering, right? Oh yeah. So I don't know if he meant could Greg bring dry ice, or if he meant could Greg just bring some kind of experimental learning hands-on something or another, you know? But yeah, he had asked for you to bring science last week. (laughs) Okay, well, dry ice then. Maybe I'll maybe I'll get some at some point in the future. Obviously not next week. I was uh, thinking about Mr. Robot some more. And there's a, we were talking about, I was going on and on about how great the technology, how accurately it's portrayed. I remembered another scene where it was really spot on. And that was when he was coming out of the jail after 
meeting with the guy when his phone had sniffed all the Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. And he was freaking out because all of the Wi-Fi was corrupted by, or WPA, by w, yeah. WPA2. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's spot on. It, it, it Maybe even more than the producers had intended because, like, just two or three weeks ago, they found a, a new problem with RC4. And WPA, not WPA2, but WPA uses RC4 as its hash. So it, it really opened up a big hole in WPA encryption. You know WP is weak. Yeah. And that's probably what the script was written against. But it was it, it fit just as good seeing WPA2 on his phone. Because if it was WPA, he would have had an RC4 attack that he could have used against it. So, again... <laughs> So now you get into the weird technical stuff that I don't know about. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was like, when I was like, I was scraping paint today, I was like, it was just running through my mind. I'm like, oh yeah, that's another place they just bullseye. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, they, the, the nice thing about it is they're using accurate technology to present story uh, complications, right? To 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 uh, as story points, and that that's why. Uh, that's why it's engaging even for people who don't know about the technology. It's not just technology porn, right? They're using the technology as right. uh, as elements of the story. So that was a way to use technology to block a possible, you know, a possible way to resolve the story. So they had to find some other machination. You know, one of the play. So earlier episode, you know, when they, they uh, the one hacker gave the guy the CD to play, right? And the CD wouldn't play, but it still installed mm-hmm. the virus. Why would you do that? Why would you make the CD not play? Why would you not just have a demo CD with music on yeah. it and go unnoticed? That bugged me. Because like, a CD that doesn't play is going to raise more flags. It should have raised flags. The dude yeah. worked at a security company. So that, that, that yeah. bugged me a little bit. One thing I did appreciate, and well, especially about this episode, like I said, this episode was great, uh, but that they generally do acknowledge in the show is that almost all hacking is social engineering, right? I mean, when they were, when they were dropping the USB stuff, that was still, it was about, it still had to get somebody, you know, you you can make all the the hacks you want, but you need to get somebody to put that in there and to do the requisite clicking. Mm -hmm. Uh, The, when, when Darlene went over to the cop, they had had to do that social engineering (coughs) stuff in order to, get close enough and get there for enough time. Yeah, yeah. So the um the USB attack where he actually had to open it and do the survey thing, they had to do that to the show that they had infiltrated it where in again in real life they could use bad USB. Right, yeah. And it would have been lights out, you know, plug it in and uh just have innocuous files on there and you could have rooted the computer right. without any kind of interaction. But that wouldn't have been as fun. That's true. It wouldn't it wouldn't have uh if you can resolve something like that, then. But what I did like was I, what I did like was the the enticement, free hundred dollar gift uh-huh. card. I really that that again is another very common social engineering technique yep. is promise them rewards, gifts, gold. Nigerian guy says, "I'll give you five thousand dollars if you just give me your bank number." Right. So. Didn't mean to go back to, but oh, I just, oh, it's so good. It, you, <laughs> you never see technology that good on TV. And have it be on a very good show. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a good combination. <coughs> I, yeah, I mean, 
<laughs> it's funny because there, there's no sci-fi that I can think of that is reasonably accurate. <laughs> Dude, by oh, any stretch. So actually, the the opposite of good technology. So a show I've been watching, a show that I like, I think it's de- pretty decent, is Lost Ship. It's another one's a post-apocalyptic, you know, virus killing most of the people. So you know, <laughs> I, you know, those. I like yep. those. <clears throat> and it's army too. It's navy, right? So there's lots of guns, and you know, you get to see a lot of navy ships and whatnot. So I enjoy the show generally. But they were they intercepted the encrypted communications of their foe who has a British nuclear submarine and they're using British Navy radios. And, you know, the, the communications person like starting decryption and they decrypted like part of the message. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> a, you're never going to decrypt the message because they're using real encryption. And B, you can't just decrypt, can't decrypt halfway. part of the message. <laughs> it's all or nothing. Oh, that it happens all the time. Yeah. They always decrypt part of the message. It it doesn't happen. You can't do it. Well, you could do it if you had a message that was encrypted, and then like part part of the message was encrypted, and you encrypted. I mean, that so, message, right? I so mean, you, what you, you could. Well, what you could do, I guess, conceivably, is if they use a cipher block chaining algorithm. And you got crazy lucky, Uh you could decrypt one of the blocks, but not have the key to figure out what the next block in the chain was. Well, like, let's say I send you a a PGP message, right? So Mm -hmm. it's it's encrypted. And then you you add something to it and send that and re-encrypt it and send it to somebody Uh else. So they can de-encrypt part of it and get your thing you added, (coughs) but the other stuff would still be encrypted. Yeah, I don't think radios do that. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, it, it, it's just sending you know ones and zeros, right? So because I'm talking to you over a walkie-talkie that's encrypted, it's not going to re-encrypt uh, part okay, of the message. It, it's not just it's not just one message file. It's a uh... no. It was you know this was encrypted live communications. Oh, you know, okay. radio. All right. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. So they so they recorded it. <laughs> yeah. And then they started brute forcing it. And they decrypted part of the message. You know, just... They don't understand. How, how, how would you how would how, you no-prize your way out of this? Right? What's that? So, okay, so Marvel had this thing for a while where uh, if, if you found a, a logical problem in one of their comics and mm-hmm. then you came, up, you came up with a way to explain it, they would award you a no prize, which is basically them acknowledging you and not accepting okay. your prize. But so, okay, how would you find a way to explain this? Ah, <laughs> uh, so they live in the same world, same universe we live in, but where encryption is hackable by everyone. Do, maybe uh, they have quantum computers that can do. Um, some sort of amazing calculation on this. And so they were in the superposition of, did they, <laughs> they had the hack. It was... So they had it decrypted until they looked at it. And yeah, wasn't exactly. <laughs> yeah. I can't come up with a good one, but we haven't really thought about it. It's just, it's a crutch. Yeah. It's like the enhance, use. enhance, enhance thing, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a crutch that too many yeah. writers use. They needed to slow down. 
the response right. of the Navy. So, but they wanted, but their their way out was to eventually crack part of the message. Right. I think I can't remember if that was played into the arc or not. But uh, yeah, as soon as she said starting encryption, starting decryption, I'm like. Well, good luck with that, but uh, you're going to die of old age before you uh, have a, a one one yeah. millionth chance of even getting there. I mean, it, 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 like I said, the scientists are bugging me if the story is good, but part of story is story structure, and part of structure is maintaining a, a internal consistency. <clears throat> mm-hmm. So when things are inconsistent or when things are too too obviously tropey right then uh and and you're not specifically like you know you're not lampshading it you're not specifically highlighting it for and saying yeah look at what we're doing uh then it can become kind of an annoying like and that mm-hmm. that's dumb yeah it doesn't necessarily destroy the story for me if it's still a good story but you can still say that's uh <laughs> you lost me at that point but yeah, the um, so the last I, I just want to give you a little I'm gonna get you through the whole plot of last ship, but so they. Wait, are, what is this on? What what network is this on? It's on it's on the internet as far as, far as I know. <laughs> I, I think it's on TNT. Okay. I think. Yeah, I haven't heard I haven't heard a thing one about okay. it. So, so uh, virus sweeps the world, kills almost everyone in the second season or third season, whatever it now turns out that it's, there's probably about 5%, 10% of the population that's, that's immune, that's uh, uh, immune to the virus, you know, so there's more people living than they initially thought, but the ship was on a research thing right when the virus started to break out, they were in radio silence. So they didn't know what, how bad it had gotten. And there was one scientist on the ship who was working on trying to find the primordial strain of the virus or something like that. So they knew that the virus was out there when they launched the ship. Yes. The ship was like one of the, like, to try to find a cure. They're trying to get a vaccine for the virus. Why would they have been in radio silence? Uh, the, there was a Russian um, Russian commander trying to find them and kill them or something. Well, that sounds it, really it's been like It's been like three seasons since then. But so there was a really bad, they got back to Baltimore and like the... Secretary of Health and Human Services like was running this thing where she was like luring in the sick and like and killing them and like it was it was like stupid a Joseph Mengele type situation type thing yeah. yeah and I really I'm like okay this show's about done but they ended that plot line and they got into this new one where there's um they had the cure there they sent the cure to like the the places that were still intact to manufacture the vaccine to get it distributed worldwide. And they ran into this British submarine run by a bunch of mercenaries now because there's two guys in the submarine that were immune. He hired a bunch of other mercenaries, so he's the, they're bad guys now. Um, they sent their cruise missiles and blew up all the vaccine manufacturing plants. <laughs> so now it's them versus the the, the last ship because they're immune and they want to rule the world and they don't want too many people left to fight. So they're going to let the virus run its course. Oh god, that's such. But the plot line. How do, they, how do they justify people thinking that way? <clears throat> they're a bunch of bad guys that you know. They're that, warlords. They're warlords. Is, okay, see that's. <laughs> but warlords, warlords don't. 
<laughs> once they're comfortable ruling their little area, they're not going to nuke a whole bunch of other cities just to uh, just to maintain the status quo. The um, so the interesting part of the plot that they're into right now is that like the twelfth in line for secession for the president is immune, and he was with these bad guys, and they kind of you know brought him forward and kind of in a small group of people like brought him forward as the president so the navy guys went in there and rescued this guy you know and brought him back because he's serving per the constitution to protect the president what's his job what is the guy's job whatever like 12th in line but okay so here's the thing right (laughs) the The president is a civil servant we elect to serve out these four-year terms. Mm-hmm. This is not the guy we want when the world turns to Mad Max shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The whole the, the fucking thing goes out the window when the Mad Max shit happens. So the idea that that what line you are in secession mm-hmm. to the president, no sure. one's going to care. No one's going to give two shits that you okay, happen so, to be. So the commander of the Navy ship uh-huh. is still trying to restore the United States. <laughs> okay, and the world, ninety-five percent of the population of the world is de- is destroyed. Something like that. 90, Double 90, decimation. Ninety to ninety-five. Yeah. Yeah. Well, decimation would be ten percent. So you're. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. it's it's bad. Yeah. But so the the inter- the interesting part of the plot, I think, is going well. We'll see if they play it out well. Is you know, so he's trying to be right per the Constitution and the president. This guy is presumably the president, or because of secession, he's how immune, long has he been? Uh, nine months or so. Okay. Um, he's immune, and he may have an allegiance. He might want. He might be brainwashed to think that people that aren't immune don't deserve to survive. So, so the captain of the ship, you know, the hero of the show, he's going to have this conflict of, does he serve the president? Does he serve the country? You know, and will he do what he, you know, will he go as far as thinking what he thinks best and, and go against his commander in chief, you know? So it'll be curious to see, uh, if that is, plot I mean, that sounds so absurd that, so that you would try to maintain some semblance of the United States when oh, okay I mean so what else are you going to do he's trying to put some shit back together they have a vaccine you make you make new shit you don't try to you, know, you don't try to restore the old system you, you you use that as a model but shit's gone down uh, th- these are people who aren't trained you know there, there's no there, there's nobody who's a secretary of when shit goes down is in the cabinet, right? There's no, right, there's no right. survivalist person in the cabinet. It's right. like, all right, in, in case there's a, you know, gigantic crisis. Uh, and, and so, I mean, communications people... are not super clear. So they don't know if there's uninfected pockets of, you know, large civilizations or large communities, things like that. You know, um, I don't know. It doesn't seem implausible about trying to, get the country running again. It does to me. I mean, <laughs> I mean, true. It's, I'm just, I'm hearing about a third hand from right, you, so right. I don't know what justification, but it, I mean, it feels like I'm shooting these gigantic holes <laughs> into it. And I'm just curious. 
<laughs> it does. It, it doesn't seem, you know, from watching it, yeah. it doesn't seem that implausible. Like, like, it, I mean, the whole point of, of like these Lord of the Flies situation is you start a new society, not you. You desperately cling on to your old one, come hell or high water. Right. I think it, you know, since since it is a navy ship and he's a captain in the U.S. Navy, you know, the thing he is, and so they're sworn... all still maintaining protocol and stuff on this ship. Yeah. Well, he let at a certain point he anyone who didn't want to, basically, yeah. This he, is exactly at anyone you know he basically said anyone who doesn't want to reenlist can can go. This, this is the, this reminds me of the problem that they had with Star Trek Voyager. Uh, Voyager was a ship that uh, the whole concept was it gets lost 70,000 years from, from or 70,000 light years from home and it would take 70 years for them to come back uh, but they maintained throughout their entire nine seasons or whatever they ran uh, that you know they, they were just as <laughs> all the same protocols all the same stuff uh, just like a a fun star you know starfleet ship where everybody was happy all the time so it, oh. there was no breakdown in protocol there was no uh you know attempt to <laughs> i think on the last ship i mean if if you look at you have the option of going all survivalist on your own where there's all kinds of bad guys out there or you stay on a heavily armed navy destroyer I think your best chance of survival is sticking with Destroyer for a while. For a while, but at a certain point, you have to start challenging the things. Look, this apparatus that you hold your allegiance to doesn't exist anymore. It's time to start. It's certainly something they can work on. I mean, I guess that's only been, I think it's nine months in the timeline right now. They've been three seasons. This hasn't even been approached. Well, I mean, so they didn't even make it back to the United States until like... The end. Of As the has no season. one on the show ever said, the United States is over. We need to build something new. Has it ever been like? No, it's not that far yet. It hasn't been that well developed. There's wow. enough people still alive. They just nuked a whole bunch of cities. No, no, just the places where they were. They weren't nuclear. Oh, okay. The only they the Russian in the first season nuked Paris, just just for fun. <laughs> wow sounds terrible it's well, it's you mean the situation or the show the show <laughs> it's just not terrible but you probably think it will it is i enjoy it what <laughs> what you're notice me that... notice i told you to watch mr robot and not last ship yes that's true but wow i mean i'm not saying it is terrible but it's the kind the of... justification that you're providing me <laughs> It's slim to none for for what's on there, but it, I do like poke cooking holes and things. I mean, it it, it it was fun exercise. It's um, I I know we talked about before because um, uh, what can't I think of the dude's name? Jane. Oh, uh, Adam Adam Baldwin. Adam Baldwin. Yeah. He's the executive officer. He's second in command on the ship. Oh. Yeah, all right. Sounds dumb, but hey, whatever. <laughs> I, I enjoy dumb things too. I enjoy things that uh, I I probably shouldn't enjoy. Um, did I tell Did I tell you when we were on vacation that I got the tour 
uh, went to the Norfolk Naval Station and I got the tour uh, amphibious assault ship. No, no, that was pretty cool. So my dad has a buddy that was down there. Same time he got me on the the PX to you know get tax free booze, and we went down to Norfolk. We were going to tour the um, the Truman the aircraft carrier, but they were running drills and we couldn't get on. So we went down a couple piers and there was a pier with four four destroyers on it, Arleigh Burke class destroyers, and then the USS San Antonio, which is this medium uh, San Antonio class uh, amphibious assault ship. It's the kind of ship where the back opens up and they can flood the bay and amphibious, like smaller amphibious ships or or uh, hovercraft can kind of just park inside it and then they close it back up and it rises, rises back out of the water. It was a... Uh, it's a pretty cool tour, Max and Max Wendt. He he really enjoyed that. And uh, first time, on, well, the thing I noticed most. Are you looking at last ship? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> Why don't you look up the USS San Antonio instead? You'll get more out of it. I mean, I'm looking at the thread, and apparently on on this thread, <coughs> it's, it's a bunch of people hate watching. So you're probably on EV Club or something. No, well, I'm on uh, uh, something awful for us. We okay. Here. What, uh, what was it? USS San Antonio. Uh, what was I going to say about it? it it's it's um uh, was built in, commissioned in two thousand four. It's kind of a low radar reflectivity ship, so like all its superstructure, like its stacks and everything, are all faceted and polyg- polygonal. And never uh, retreat, never surrender. That seems very uh, <laughs> very stark. It holds twelve hundred marines. For attacking things, so what happens when they have to retreat? Oh, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> if they're never deployed, they never have to retreat, That's right? True. So that that could be part of the the mission. Um, the the thing that was interesting, you know, it's a relatively modern ship, but it is a warship, so they're not going to have to spend too much on amenities and whatnot, like walking the corridors and everything. So what, what is it, this, is this classy? Is this a destroyer? It's a. Amphibious Assault, I believe, is what they call okay. it. It's a San Antonio class. It's the namesake for the class of ship. Okay. Legion for class of amps. Amphibious Transport Dock or Landing Ramp. Amphibious Transport. Yeah, so you can fit two LCACs, the big hovercrafts in the back of it. And it has a helibay, helipad on the back. It has two Seahawk helicopters um, delegated to it. And it can hold a whole bunch of uh, amphibious assault vehicles and Humvees and stuff. But the thing that was really, like I said, was most interesting, I thought, was it once you're inside the corridors, it looked like you're more or less in a World War II ship. You know, like those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Like, even though this was built in 2004. Hey, it's a, it's a design that works, right? It's a design that works, and it's a warship. You're not going to... You no know, frills. Like, the, the, the one place, like, where... Like, there wasn't even, like... So they do have... They had two, like, workout areas. They had a weight room and a, and a cardio room. We didn't see those. But, like, they had treadmills. Like, there was a treadmill, like, in the Hellebay. There was two treadmills in just one place where the corridor was a little bit wider. So, like, they're just stuffing stuff wherever they can get it. Mm-hmm. You would think that, like, a modern warship with 1,200 people on it or something like that. Is that the crew complement? That, that's how much it can fit, right? What's the, what's the general crew complement? Uh, I want to say that it's over on 383. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, they could fit 1,200 people on it, but, yeah. you know. The, um, the, the racks, the bunks where they sleep, you know, that was one thing that was, a, I'll say mo- it's a mo- more modern design, even though it's not luxurious. Yeah. Instead of just being a, a, 
one little bunk where it's only like 20 inches high, they're L-shaped. So they do head to, it's three high. So, you know, it's where you sleep, it's 20 inches high. And then up by your pillow, there's a cutout. So you can actually sit up in your bunk and like, you know, the wall's right here in front of your face, Mm -hmm. but you could like tape an iPod there or an iPad there and like, and watch video. Uh, So that's a kind of a neat, it's a simple design, but it's like, very beneficial design. So the one L is like this way, and the next L is it's like this, right? <laughs> it's not good for radio. I know, but just so you see, right? And then the third one would be like this. So they're a little bit longer than a rack. So mm. the L's like so like if if the bulkhead in front of you was clear, you'd be looking at the guy above you's feet, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And um but yeah, like they should, like you get like one little drawer one your bunk comes up and there's a little foot locker there like you don't have much yeah. Good, you know probably because your uniforms are getting laundered regularly and you just you probably don't keep your like your second uniform is probably at the laundry or something like that yeah exactly there's no need to the uh... only place that was spacious on the ship was the medical facilities mm. you know like you walked in and it's like like everything else was so tight and you walked into the medical facilities and it was like spacious. I mean, they had a full operating room there. I mean, if they're taking Marines in the battle. They need to be able to fix the Marines. And they come back injured. And, um, so like super duper medical yeah. facilities. And they, and, and that's also a very, it's going to be a very chaotic area. So you can't, you can't put as many, much limitations on that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. you just have to let, let there be enough space that you can yeah, reconfigure it as much as possible. Yeah. So that was cool. That then there was a couple of destroyers there, but the kids were getting a little tired. We didn't tour anything else. There, there was a, a nuclear attack submarine parked at one of the piers. You could see sitting there. I don't know which one it was. There was, like I said, the the Harry Truman was there, and um, there's another uh, amphibious uh, transport that looks almost like an aircraft carrier. I can't remember which one that was, but it um, like. I, like it, it has a big, big flat deck on the top of it. It wasn't San Antonio class, of course. It was another one, like the next bigger size. But uh, it was pretty cool. Cool. And got the tour because this guy knows he's a sweet, sweet talker. He, well, he's a talker at all. He just keeps talking to people until he gets in. <laughs> you can't get on the Navy base unless you have a valid military ID. And, um, if you're retired military, you kind of get this like lifetime card type thing. So that's what he uses. He can get on the bases. Like, so at Sandbridge where we were staying just North of that is damn neck base. And that's where seal team six stays. And, but there's like this beach, really nice beach there, but no one can get on the base unless you have a military ID. So like, he'll go there, take his beach stuff, show his military ID, get through the gates, Ah. park at the beach and, and use the, like it's, it's public beach, but like you'd have to walk, miles up the beach to get there nice or you use your military id to park your car and on the military base and then walk up over the dunes to the to the beach clever <laughs> we should probably get to beer right i mean yeah. <laughs> finally got stuff to talk about <laughs> people probably quit yeah well, like this was probably the least listened to end of the pre-show because it sucks so bad at the beginning what i wonder how long this one was over an hour. An hour and 11 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Hope you like content. <laughs> and who knows when they'll even listen to this. 
I, I, I listened to some of them. No, no, but when does it even get oh, posted? Oh, when does... Oh, who knows? Who knows? 